Even with, with the high standards that he speaks of, James recognizes that if someone says, well, I never sin by, by what I have to say, then that per- person is perfect. And he says that's not true. So we're not talking about perfection here. Understand that. We all slip. We all say things that we wish we hadn't said. That's reality. But it does mean that those slips of the tongue for a believer would be the exception rather than the general rule of life. Important that you understand that. It's the exception. It's not what characterizes you. If that's what characterizes you, then you need to examine your heart to see if you're truly a safe person. In fact, look at James once again. James has a lot to say on the tongue, doesn't he? James chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. James says, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? When you know the answer, of course not. Can a fig tree, my brethren... Produce olives or a vine produce figs? Once again, of course not. Nor can salt water produce fresh. We we would agree to that. What James is telling us is that just as springs of water and fruit trees don't contradict themselves by producing what is contrary to their very nature, so true believers won't habitually contradict themselves either. Welcome to Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our series is titled, Words Have Meaning, and so far we have had some excellent teaching on the subject, and if we're honest, some very convicting teaching. Pastor Steve will be teaching from Matthew chapter 12, so if you're able to follow along in your Bible, put a marker there. However, today we will take our first step into James chapter 1, where James explains that the words that come from our mouth give us an indication of what is in our heart. So keep Matthew 12 marked, but be ready with James chapter 1. In our last verse-by-verse broadcast, Pastor Steve was giving us a personal illustration about words he used in his past life. But we ran out of time before he could finish the story. So today we will hear how that story ends. But first, a quick look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Most of us are familiar with the fact that James in chapter 3 gives much attention to the, to the tongue and the powerful force that it is. It can be, he says, destructive, very destructive. But not many people are as familiar with James chapter 1 verse 26 in which he says this, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Now, James is teaching that regardless of the religious activities that you may be involved in, regardless of how much service you might have in your church, if your tongue is consistently out of control, so that your speech is consistently, and I emphasize the word consistently corrupt, then you have deceived yourself. You think that you're a believer, but you're not. That's what James is saying. You think you're right with God, but you're not right with Him. Now understand, 
and this is very important, understand this does not mean that a believer always controls his tongue so that there's never an inappropriate word that we speak. That would mean, if that was the case, that we were perfect people, and we're not. In fact, look at James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble, he says, in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Even James recognizes... Even with with the high standards that he speaks of, James recognizes that if someone says, well, I never sin by by what I have to say, then that person is perfect. And he says that's not true. So we're not talking about perfection here. Understand that. We all slip. We all say things that we wish we hadn't said. That's reality. But it does mean that those slips of the tongue for a believer would be the exception rather than the general rule of life. Important that you understand that. It's the exception. It's not what characterizes you. If that's what characterizes you, then you need to examine your heart to see if you're truly a safe person. In fact, look at James once again. James has a lot to say on the tongue, doesn't he? James chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. James says, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? When you know the answer, of course not. Can a fig tree, my brethren... Produce olives or a vine produce figs? Once again, of course not. Nor can salt water produce fresh. We, we would agree to that. What James is telling us is that just as springs of water and fruit trees don't contradict themselves by producing what is contrary to their very nature, so true believers won't habitually contradict themselves either by producing words that are inconsistent with our true nature. Whatever, that's exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew 12. Whatever your nature is, you will reflect that in the words that you say. Here's how one Bible teacher explained James 1.26. He said, James does not mean that those who sometimes fall into this sin have a worthless religion. For all are guilty at times. Rather, he is saying that if anyone's tongue is habitually unbridled, Though his church attendance be impeccable, his Bible knowledge envied, his prayers many, his tithes exemplary, and though he considers himself religious, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. That's what he's talking about. That that's your normal way of life. That it never dawns on you to speak differently than this. And you have to consider whether you've really had a change of heart because true believers do speak differently than the unsaved. Now this is where we left off last week. And you might have noticed, not that I'm saying anyone looks at their clocks here, but you might have noticed that we ended a little bit early last week. I heard that from several people, and I know that. I actually have a clock right in front of me, though you may not realize that. You may think I have a calendar here. I do have a clock, and I'm conscious of the time. And we ended a little bit earlier last week, but that was intentional because I didn't want to rush through this extremely important truth without doing it justice. Let me explain. If the words that we have to say really reveal our character as to whether or not we're saved or lost, then it is absolutely essential that we understand what the Bible has to say about how, as regenerate people, we're supposed to talk. And we really didn't cover that last week. In other words, what kind of speech does Scripture tell us God wants us, and more than wants us, commands us to demonstrate as believers in Christ? What kinds of words are supposed to flow out of the overspill of our regenerate hearts? So, if you've been converted, then what will your speech be like? What should it be like? I want to think about that for a few minutes before we move on to finish our study in this passage. 
Once again, let me reiterate that the Bible does not teach that a believer will never sin with his words. Understood. But only that in the general flow and movement of life and his lifestyle, his words will indicate that he has had a transformation of heart. When his words do not reflect a redeemed heart, he'll be convicted of his sin. She'll be convicted of their sin. That's the mark of being a true believer. You're convicted. You confess your sin to God. You repent. You make changes. You don't just go, you know what, that's not right, and just leave it like that. The mark of a true believer, one mark, is that we confess our sins and we do something about it. So so that would be indicative of being really saved. In fact, one of the very first sins that most new converts become aware of in their lives is is that their talk has to change. Things have to change in terms of, of how they speak. And that really gives great evidence of salvation. When when a new believer recognizes sin in his or her life by the way they speak and they make changes, that's that's a great indication that they have truly been converted. This has been the experience of many people, especially those who have been saved as adults. I look back on my life and I say that was certainly true. I was raised in Brooklyn, New York, not in a Christian home. Cursing, taking the Lord's name in vain was an absolute way of life in, uh, in, in my manner of speaking. In fact, so bad was I that I was actually accused. I used to go to uh, camp every year and I was actually accused of corrupting an entire camp with the way I spoke. But... Shortly after becoming a Christian, as an 18-year-old freshman at the University of South Florida, one day I, I cut my wrist on the lock of my door as I was entering my room in the men's dormitory. As soon as this happened, I, uh, I reacted as I was my custom in situations like that by letting out a string of vile curse words associated with the Lord's name. This had been really my custom for nearly 18 years of my life. This is what I was used to doing. I never felt bad about it. I never felt uh, what we would say convicted. This was a way of life. This was my habit. But that day, as I was walking into my room, and remember I had just become a believer I was spewing forth all of these vile words. Unbeknownst to me, the young man who led me to Christ was sitting in my room waiting for me. And I didn't know that. I will never forget the pained look on his face. The look of disappointment. The look of of really anguish. His heart was breaking as he heard me speak like that and just drag the precious name of Christ through the mud. And for the first time in my life, I was convicted of my evil manner of speaking. And I remember looking at him and saying, I I shouldn't have said that, should I? And he said, uh, no, you should not have said that. And I recall not only feeling smitten in my heart because this was obviously offensive to God, and I, I knew that, but I was troubled about this because, as I said, cursing and taking Christ's name was just a, a way of life to me. And I didn't know if I could change, but I knew that I needed to change because this wasn't the way a, a Christian was supposed to speak. And so when I was alone with the Lord, I poured out my heart to him, not only confessing my sin, but saying, Lord, I I feel weak, but I I can't do this on my own. I I need you to help me to clean up the way I I speak. You know, this is my manner of life, but I don't want to do this anymore. This is disgraceful, and and I need your help. You know, praise God, I did receive his help and his great enablement. And from that day forth, I have never had a problem with cursing or taking the Lord's name in vain. That doesn't mean I don't have other problems. But in that area, God really did 
change my life. Now, folks, that's just the way that believers ought to react. That's that's the norm. My reaction was nothing that was any should be any different from any genuine uh, Christian. They may not always speak in a manner that reflects their salvation, but they generally do. And when they don't, as my experience was, they are deeply convicted of their sin and they repent and change. There may be bumps in the road. I'm not saying that everybody has it immediately cleaned up like God did with me. But as there are bumps in the road, they get over those bumps and they confess their sin and they make an effort to to change by God's grace and power. However, we should never conclude that all that God wants us to do as far as how we speak is just make sure we don't curse. That's part of it, but it goes far deeper than refraining from from vile language and using the Lord's name in an inappropriate way. I think that's given. That's a, that's a rather obvious thing. I, I really didn't need a lecture on that after I was saved. I just knew it was wrong. I remember years ago a man saying to me who claimed to know Christ, he said, let me ask you this. Is it wrong to curse? And I thought, are you kidding? Are you the cursing Christian? No Christian is supposed to curse. That's so obvious. And I told them that's obvious. But there are some other things, the way we are to speak, that's not as obvious. And that's what I want to cover this morning. Let's uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, let me set the stage for you in Ephesians. In fact, let me let Paul set it for you. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of the most marvelous chapters in all the Bible because it really tells us, in fact, this is the heart of our biblical counseling ministry here at Lakeside, it really tells us how to make changes in our lives. But let me start by reading to you and then explaining verse 17 and then following. Paul says, so this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. He's talking about unsaved Gentiles, pagans, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, let me sum this up for you. Paul is teaching that once you come to Christ, there's going to be a difference in the way you behave. We are not to behave, not to think, like we used to think. And Paul speaks about like unbelieving Gentiles. He means pagans. He's speaking to a predominantly Gentile Congregation, probably several congregations, because we believe Ephesians was probably a circular letter. And he is saying that you don't walk, you don't behave the way you used to behave. How did they used to behave? Well, he speaks about walking in darkness with a hardness of, of heart towards God, callous to the truths, with sensual thoughts reigning in their lives, with greediness. But at salvation, he says, you laid aside that manner of life. He says you, you, you died, you laid that aside and you put on Christ, meaning you put on a new divine nature. And the thought is that God has put that in you. 
you you did that, but he, that's the language of appearance, but God is the one who did that. You laid aside the old way of life, you put on a new way of life, you put on a new nature, and now Paul is telling us that your behavior needs to match what took place at salvation. The old man was off, meaning all you were in, in Adam. It should be gone. And you have a new nature now. Now Paul is saying, live that way. See, what happens when we're saved, we don't automatically become brand new creatures in Christ in our daily behavior. We carry into the Christian lives a lot of baggage from our unsaved days. And that baggage needs to change. That's called progressive sanctification. Whenever someone comes to us for for biblical counseling here, it's what we always emphasize. Put off old sinful habits that you have brought into the Christian life, but they need to go and put on New godly habits put off, put on. That's what Paul is saying, that in our daily behavior, we need to reflect the change that has already taken place in our hearts with a new nature. Now we need to put on new habits. And so he goes through a list of behavioral issues, things that need to change. Now, obviously, if Paul is teaching this, it means that we don't automatically have this change in perfection. We're sinful. We need to make changes. This is why sanctification or growing in Christ is progressive. And the first first issue of behavior that he comes to in verse 25 is the way we speak. He'll tell us throughout this whole passage, here's how you used to speak. Here's how the unsaved speak and live. Here's how now you need to change. He says in verse 25, therefore, based on the fact that You have a new nature, live this way. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Paul tells us that we are to lay aside speaking falsehood, because that's the way that unconverted people speak. That's the way we used to speak. Now, most of us, when we hear falsehood, immediately think of a blatant lie. It includes that, but it's much more than that. Certainly falsehood is forbidding or falsehood would include outright lying. But falsehood involves anything, note this, with the intent, intention to deceive. Anything with the intention to deceive. It could be shading the truth. Just enough to mislead. Purposely shading the truth. Exaggerating and embellishing something. That's part of falsehood. Cheating in school or cheating in any arena of life. Withholding information could come under this, say, on your income tax forms. That's falsehood. Not keeping a promise either to God or to a person. Betraying a confidence. Somebody shared something with you in confidence. Don't tell anybody. Okay. And you tell somebody. Flattering people by giving them a compliment that you didn't mean. You just wanted them to like you. You might want to have made them feel good. So you said something that was untrue. Don't do that. The apostle tells us that once we become... Christians, we ought to put out of our lives all talk that lacks integrity. That's what he's saying. That means that in your business ethics, you are not to say anything that would be less than honest in order to close a deal. You may think, but I might lose a lot of money on that. Better to lose a lot of money than to dishonor the Lord. That means that in your relationship with others, you are always to speak the truth, even if it means rebuking somebody for their sake or correcting someone. We should be men and women who are known as those who speak the truth, just like the Lord we say we're following, who said he was the truth and that his word is truth. 
So scripture tells us that unlike the speech of unbelievers, which tends to be characterized by falsehood, we're not to be like that. And let me just add to this. This does not mean being brutally honest. I know people who are honest in a brutal way. Paul isn't saying that at all. He's not saying just get it off your chest whether you crush them or not. Because back in verse 15, Paul said, but speaking the truth in love. We're to speak the truth to people for their sake in a loving manner. So he's not talking about brutality here. But understand, the world is characterized by falsehood. Most non-Christians have no qualms about being dishonest. In fact, I remember an unsaved businessman telling my son one day, this was what he was advising him how to live. He said, listen, Ben, you either lie or you die. That was his motto. That was his motto. That's the way the world generally thinks and they conduct their their lives. The speech, though, of a converted individual ought to be characterized by honesty. We should always tell people the truth, regardless of how awkward it might be, how uncomfortable it might be for us, how much money it might cost us. We ought to be known as men and women of the truth because we used to be men and women of lies and falsehood. But that's not all that should govern our speech. If you jump down to verse 29, Paul's not through. Paul's not through about this important subject. He says in verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Let no unwholesome word proceed from you. That's the way the unsaved are, and that's the way we were before being Christian. Now, what does he mean by unwholesome? Well, the actual Greek word here for that's translated unwholesome literally means foul and, and putrid and, and rotten. So, Paul is certainly telling us that we are never to speak in words that are vulgar, dirty, crude, profane. In fact, he follows this up a few verses later in chapter 5, verse 4, by saying that there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. A Christian then is never to tell off-color jokes, never to tell dirty stories. He's never to use lewd or obscene language. This just is not consistent with the righteous nature that has been implanted in us. It is not consistent with the way Jesus did speak and would speak if he were here physically. But listen, the concept of unwholesome speech involves far more than just lewd talk. Watch this. Unwholesome speech also includes words that are designed to tear others down, to cut them down, and just be negative for the sake of being negative. And the reason I say that is, let's 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 look at the whole verse. Verse 29 says... Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, what Paul is going to do is tell us just the opposite. And the opposite of unwholesome speech, notice, is edification, which means to build up. But only such a word, he says, as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. This is tremendous. The opposite of unwholesome speech is edification, which means build up, encourage, to strengthen others. Now, folks, what this means, then, is that our speech should never be characterized by words that maliciously and slanderously run others down. Our speech should always be with the intent of building others up, of encouraging them, of giving grace to them, of of, uh, even when we give criticism, it ought to be constructive criticism. It's never to be criticism for the sake of criticism. We are not to be sharp-tongued people who simply complain and uh, tear others down. It should always be with the intent of helping them. 
Pastor Steve encouraged us that in our relationship with others, we are always to speak the truth. We should be men and women who are known for our integrity in the way that we speak. However, that does not mean we are to be brutally honest or honest in a brutal way. Paul reminded us to speak the truth in love. On our next verse-by-verse broadcast, we will look into the book of James again as we deal with our words and how we speak to others. One of the themes in our next program is that we should not speak against someone unkindly, slanderously, or with the intent to put someone else down. Sounds like introspection time to me. I would like to encourage you also to sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast. It's a great way to go back and review what you heard on the radio program. And it is never a bad thing to meditate on God's Word after we hear it. You can sign up for that Verse by Verse podcast at versebyverseradio.org. The sign-up link is on the right-hand side of the page. And if you're able, please join us again for Verse by Verse. Verse by Verse.